Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. He said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Righto. Let me set the scene for us. Uh, We're coming back to our series on the Gospel of Mark. And it is the shortest and the fastest moving of all of the Gospels. And as I said in the very first message of the series, a key verse would have to be chapter 10, verse 45, where it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. As the Gospel of Mark unfolds, we're going to be seeing an increasing conflict between Jesus and the Jewish religious leaders. And it's a conflict which, of course, will eventually lead to the cross. And so some people might go, well, why, did, why was Jesus letting that happen? Was he naive? What, did he have no political nous about him at all? You know, surely Jesus could have done things in a way that were a bit less offensive to people. You know, he could have said things that were less offensive. He could have gone about his ministry in a way that didn't ruffle so many feathers, especially of those you know, strong and powerful people, you know, he could have just sort of just not stood against them so hard. And and imagine what Jesus could have achieved if his life hadn't been cut short. But that was the point, you see. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came and he revealed God as God truly is and the religious establishment couldn't handle him. See, Jesus didn't just come to try and tidy up a system of God worship that just needed a little bit of tweaking. Jesus came to save. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. And the fact that the religious establishment couldn't handle it, well, that then was going to become the mechanism through which Jesus gave his life. And so Jesus' mission depended not on him trying to maintain some kind of level of common ground. Jesus' mission was all about breaking into new ground. And in so doing, it exposed the bankruptcy of what religion had become. And today's reading is the second of five stories, one coming straight after the other, and each one demonstrating this growing conflict between Jesus and those who presume to speak for God, the religious leaders. So, 
Our last message on the Gospel of Mark was chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, which is a pretty well-known story. It's the story of the healing of the paraplegic, right? So these men brought their mate to Jesus to be healed, but they couldn't get into the house, so they climb up on the roof, they dig a hole through the roof, and they lower him down to Jesus at the feet of Jesus. And when Jesus sees him, he, he sees this man's greatest need is the forgiveness of sins, and so Jesus forgives him his sins, which, by the way, upset the scribes who said, well, who, who can forgive sins but God alone? And so to prove that Jesus had the authority to forgive and is actually therefore God, Jesus said, get up and walk. And the paraplegic did exactly that. And all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Right? So this has just happened, and now we come into today's story. And so it shouldn't really be any surprise to us that after that spectacular healing, that when Jesus heads out to teach by the sea, he draws quite a crowd to himself. And so there's all these crowds of people there flocking to Jesus to hear his stories and presumably hoping to see another miracle. But this reading today, it doesn't focus on Jesus' interaction with the crowd. It focuses on Jesus' interaction with just one man. And it's not even someone who went out to the seaside to meet him. It's a tax collector by the name of Levi. As Jesus passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. All right? Big deal. What, what's so significant about this story? Why did it mean, get a special mention? Well, verses 15, 16 and 17 give us a bit of a hint. Jesus had a meal in Levi's house and many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with tax collectors, oh, sorry, sinners, and tax collectors said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? The, the, the two seem to go together, don't they? Um, tax collectors and sinners, sinners and tax collectors, tax collectors and sinners. Uh, what's going on here? What's wrong with being a tax collector? Surely it's just a job. What's going on? Put your hand up if you enjoy paying tax. Nobody. No one likes paying tax. In fact, most people hate paying tax. Uh, by the way, if you have to pay tax, it's probably a good sign. It probably means you're turning a profit, okay? Um, but the strange thing is, you know, we, we all want the government to do more and more and more for us, right? We want to have and we expect to have the world's best medical care and whatever procedure can now be done in the world, I need to get it done for me and it shouldn't cost me anything because the government should pay for it. We, we expect to have really well-resourced schools and, and free or subsidised universities. We, 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 would love, we all feel we need to be able to access a pension if we want to um, or, and other forms of welfare. And, of course, our, our population is getting older. We need more and more aged care funding to, to keep our, our old people um, well and, and, in, and cared for. And then there's the armed forces we need new submarines, don't we? And, and we need some new F-35 joint strike fighters. And, and we've just, we just need all of this stuff, don't we? And, of course, the government's got to buy this. And, and we want them 
to then support us in times of drought and natural disasters and, and we want clean and cheap energy, better roads, more police, more teachers, more doctors, more nurses, higher wages and of course we want to be able to turn a higher profit. Now we want to achieve all of this stuff and not pay any tax. We're strange creatures, aren't we? Hey? You know, I, I know business people who think their throat has been cut if they, if they need to pay any tax. And some people I, I know that they actually buy stuff they don't need simply so they can um, write it off as a tax deduction. But wage earners, you're the same. At least a lot of us are. Um, I know a lot of wage earners who try and structure their investments and, and, and negatively gear stuff and so on just so that we can pay less tax. Not many people enjoy paying tax. Most of us hate it. Uh, we expect the government to provide all this stuff, but we don't want to pay the tax. Now, is that what's going on here? Is it just that people, do, he, he represents, so I don't want to pay tax. Is that what's going on? No, this is far worse. Uh, for Levi to be a tax collector was far worse than us paying the ATO. I want you to imagine that you weren't paying tax to your government so that it could afford to provide the services that government provides. I want you to imagine that you are paying taxes to your oppressor. All right, so what has happened, imagine that a world superpower looked upon Australia and they coveted our natural resources. Right, that's about all we've got. We don't really have a manufacturing industry. They're not going to covet that. But they'll, they'll see our natural resources and they covet that and they go, we want to have access to these. We might, we might invade Australia. So their armed forces come over, they invade Australia, they give us a jolly good thrashing and they win the war. And so we've lost the war and become a subjugated people. Right? Now imagine that that foreign power took whatever they wanted from our country. Not only the natural resources that they came to dig up, but to try and fund their war machine, they levy taxes upon us. Some of the money that, we, that they levy upon us would be spent in this country to pay the wages of soldiers, whose job it is to control us and to stand over us. But imagine that much of our taxes just went straight back to that other foreign nation for it to continue to build its empire and for it to increase the standard of living of, of the people in that other country whilst grinding us into poverty. How would you feel about that? Well, let's take it a step further. How would they collect such taxes? Well, imagine that they employed some locals. Who knows the Australian psyche quite like an Australian? And so they employ some of our locals to do this tax collecting on their behalf because they know what we're like, they know where we're trying to squirrel away our things that we earn and, and so they know what we've got and they say, oh, I know that's not all you have, pay up, buddy. And um, imagine that these people have been given the authority to collect taxes on behalf of that foreign power and that they're going to be rewarded handsomely for it and probably even get a commission. They might get 20% of everything they managed to get out of us. Now, what would you think of such a person? A turncoat? A collaborator? A traitor? They wouldn't be very well liked in the community, would they? They would be hated. 
Now, if you can imagine that scenario, you are now picturing a tax collector in Israel. They collected taxes in the name of King Herod, who wasn't a real king of Israel, but a puppet king of the Roman Empire who occupied and subjugated the nation of Israel. Tax collectors were hated. They had to have armed guards. They were the worst of the worst. They sold out their countrymen for greed. They extracted money from the citizens with the might of the Roman military behind them. And they were building their own prosperity at the oppression of their neighbour. So do you understand why the tax collectors were hated and why they were seen as sinners? They were traitors to their country. They were traitors to their people. And therefore, in most people's eyes, they were traitors to God. Um, they were hated and with good reason. And that's why the call of Levi is so significant. If you could have input into one person's life, uh, an input that might deeply influence them and maybe lead them to be born again, who would you seek to spend your time with? And I want you to think outside of the box here. I, I want you to think outside of your own family. We'll take that as a given that most of us want to put some effort into seeing our fa closest family members come to Christ. But apart from your family, what person or what sort of person would you put your time into? Now, some of you probably straight away think of your friends. We might think of people like ourselves. We might think of people who we work with. We might think of the general people who sort of, we move in the same circles, we're on the same level of the social strata, right? Would it maybe be those sorts of people who, you know, you think, oh, they're such a good person. You'd almost think they're a Christian, they're such nice people, but they're not. They're the, you know, that person should be saved. You ever come across someone like that? I know I do sometimes. You sort of think, oh, wow, this person's so nice, but they're not a Christian. How can that be? And, but we naturally want, want to see them saved. Now, now, we might, if we sort of focus on these sorts of people, we might go, well, we might call that friendship evangelism, where we intentionally target those who are like ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with this. Um, everyone needs a saviour. Even our friends need a saviour. Even those who are like us need a saviour. We all need a saviour. But here's the thing. What was most shocking to those who presumed to speak for God, the religious leaders, is the fact that Jesus was willing to rub shoulders with the scum of the earth. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees, they tried to be holy by separating themselves off from those who weren't holy. Right? They didn't want the filth of those sinful people to rub off on themselves. And they would never, never, ever eat with a person like Levi. Did you know who you choose to eat with is important? Did you know that? When we eat with someone, we connect with them. We share in their lives. And we bring them into our lives. 
Now, that's the image that David gives us in Psalm 23 when he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. What David's doing there is he's painting a picture of the hospitality of God, the intimacy of God. Imagine that, being invited to have dinner with God. And we see it again in Revelation, 20, sorry, in Revelation chapter 3 where Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. What's Jesus describing here? The intimacy of relationship. And this sort of intimacy is compounded and expanded when we eat together. When we eat with someone, it's not just a matter of getting fuel into our stomach so that we can go and play a bit more football or something. It's a matter of bringing people into our circle. It's a matter of bringing others into our own lives. When we eat a meal with someone, we bring them into our home, we bring them into our family, we bring them into our whole extended relationships. Who we have over for dinner matters. And who we exclude from dinner matters too. Most of us are pretty careful who we invite into our homes. But imagine the barriers that would be broken down if we opened up our homes and if we opened up our dinner tables to the outcast and to the despised and to the hated and to the sinner. It'd have to be 17 or 20 years ago now a young man who had been a regular visitor to our dinner table, all of a sudden became very disconnected from us. And I believe the Lord revealed to me what the issue was. And so I visited him. I, I said to him, over the last few months, our church and, and I personally have been standing up to, to confirm that the homosexual lifestyle is a sin. Is this a sin that you secretly struggle with? And he broke down into tears and he said, who told you? I said, no one told me. Maybe God told me. And this young man had cut himself off from us because because I believe the homosexual lifestyle is a sin and as with all sins it needs to be repented of, but he believed that because I believed that that sin was a sin that needed to be repented of, he believed that I would hate him and that I'd have nothing to do with him if I knew the truth about him. And that's why he just stopped coming to dinner. And he could not believe that Robin and I would still have him over to our place for dinner. You see, he thought that to be against a sin was to become Pharisee-like and to cut someone off so that you would have nothing to do with them ever again out of fear that he would make our family dirty. No. 
To be against sin is to be like Jesus. Jesus didn't cut himself off. Jesus connected with those who needed saving. Verse 15 says, Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now, that could mean, A, there were lots of people following Jesus, and because of the sheer weight of numbers and the normal proportion of tax collectors and sinners amongst them added up to a fair few. Or it could also mean, and and I think this one's probably closer to the truth, it could also mean that the ministry and teaching of Jesus was attracting an inordinately large proportion of tax collectors and sinners. There was something very different about Jesus. There was something very different about Jesus' teaching. And it didn't just bring the general populace, it particularly appealed to the tax collectors and the sinners. These were the ones who were hearing Jesus' message and it was touching them. These are the ones who were hearing Jesus' message and they started following him. And when the Pharisees saw this, they were screwed up their noses and got, ugh, why would he eat with them? Ugh. And in Jesus' reply, we find a monumental statement that gives the whole grounding for the ministry of Jesus and the mission of the gospel. And this statement is something that you and I would do well to grasp in our own ministry and mission. Those who are well don't need a doctor. Those who are sick need a doctor. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Wow. It's not the well who need a doctor, it's the sick. It's not the righteous who need a saviour, it's the sinner. Who is our mission to? Is our mission to those who are most like us? Is it to the nice people of the world? Is it to those who will fit the mould of what we want our church to be like? Or is our mission to the sinner, to the immoral? Is it to the criminal? Is our mission to the Murray? Or is it to the Bogan? Is our mission to the alcoholic or the addict or the depressed or the anxious? The mission of Jesus and therefore our mission is a mission to the spiritually sick. It's a mission to the sinner. And here's the thing with Jesus' monumental statement. If Jesus came for the spiritually sick, if Jesus came to call the sinner, who are the spiritually sick? Who are the sinner? I know who the Pharisees would have said. They would have pointed the the finger really quick and said, oh, it's those other people. But we know better than this. The scribes and the Pharisees weren't at all right with God. 
The scribes and the Pharisees themselves were just as sick. They just didn't recognize their own sickness. They were just as broken, but they didn't recognize their own sinfulness. They were just as in need of a saviour, but they didn't recognise their own precarious predicament. And so Jesus came for all sinners, including the religious leaders. The thing is, the tax collectors and sinners knew that they needed a saviour and they found hope in Jesus Christ. Whereas the scribes and Pharisees, well, they thought they were above Jesus and they rejected Jesus. Now, when Jesus passed by Levi, he didn't just offer Levi a bit of forgiveness. Jesus called Levi to follow him. And Jesus didn't just come to give a dose of salvation to the, sins, to the sinners and tax collectors. He came to call them as well. Now, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. Jesus came to call sinners to become his disciples. And the call of Jesus encompasses everything that discipleship is. To be called by Jesus means to leave behind our life of sin. It means to leave behind our life of greed. It means to leave behind our life of selfishness. It means to leave behind our life of immorality and our life of deceit. And it means to follow Jesus as a disciple of Jesus. That's why Bush Disciples is called Bush Disciples. It's because Jesus didn't just call us to be believers. He called us to be followers. He called us to be his disciples. He called us to give our hearts to him. He called us to, to repent of our sin and receive forgiveness for him. But he also calls us to follow him, to give our lives to him to leave everything else behind and to count Jesus as the only thing worth following, the only thing that my life is actually worth living for is Jesus. Last week, we talked about being born again. Let me tell you, to respond to the call of Jesus is to be born again to a new life of following Jesus. Now, I don't know whether it just gets used as an excuse or whether people genuinely feel this way, but I've heard it expressed many times, I'm not good enough to be a Christian. All right? It's only those other good people who will be Christians. What a load of rubbish. Jesus came only for those who feel they're not good enough. You got this? Jesus came only for those who feel they're not good enough, right? If you feel that you're good enough without Jesus, you're not worthy of being a disciple of Jesus. But if you feel that you're not good enough to be a disciple of Jesus, then you're the one that Jesus would call to follow him. And the mission field is filled with those who aren't good enough. And guess what? When somebody realises that they're not good enough for Jesus, that's when they're finally ready to respond to Jesus. When he says, come, follow me. The 
Does anyone get challenged by God's word when we read readings like today's reading? If you haven't been challenged today, you might be more hard of hearing than I am. I reckon a very real challenge for us today is to be the disciples of Jesus who will eat with tax collectors and sinners. The challenge for us is to be the disciples of Jesus who will eat with tax collectors and sinners. Who would you have into your home for a meal? All it takes is an invitation. There's some people where very comfortable to invite there's others that we think oh, oh no, I'd have them in my home I'm just not comfortable to invite them what's going on there our challenge is to be disciples of Jesus who will ta- eat with tax collectors and sinners Imagine the people who don't have influence of Christians and who aren't hearing the gospel and aren't seeing the gospel lived out. Imagine the influence that we could have on these if we each had an open table policy in our homes. if we invited those people who nobody else would invite, if we shared our lives with them as Jesus and his disciples did, imagine what God could do. Why would we do it? Because these are the ones who need to be saved. These are the ones who Jesus seeks and saves and we're the ones who have the message of salvation. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you that you are the God who seeks and saves the sinner. We want to thank you that you are the doctor who brings healing to those who are sick. And Lord, as we come to you today, we are ever so mindful that this was us. Lord, we were never righteous enough. We were sinners who were broken. We were sinners who, because you are a holy God, you would have had every right to to turn your back on us and scowl, but you invited us to your banquet table. You came into this world and died on the cross to save us from our sins. And then you invited us to your banquet table. Oh Lord, we are so mindful of this. We so much don't deserve the goodness that you've shown us. And we're so thankful that that you have shown us this goodness. 
Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, I just pray for us as a church that we would become the disciples of Jesus who invite the sinner and the tax collector to our dinner table. That we would connect with people who the world would class as outcasts, unworthy, unscrupulous, filthy. But Lord, give us hearts of love. Give us a heart like your heart. A heart of love. And a heart and an attitude that welcomes. In the name of Jesus. For the sake of the gospel. In Jesus' name. Amen.